1: intimacy is real how are you doing dr kelly i'm all kinds of wonderful today i was what? going to say all kinds of crazy but but that would I, be true because you know what's happening in the last few days right no well in my life yes but in the world no what? yeah in the world in the universe there's been a full moon and i don't know about you <laughs> but <laughs> in this field and what we do, communication and just a variety of things have just been difficult.
2: Well, you know what? If you saw my surroundings, right now I have a, one of these viral backgrounds for a reason. Because as you know, I'm working on my house. Yes. And uh, I had refinished the floors. Dr. Rippo, you can't even imagine the shine. People put carpet on these hardwood floors.
1: hmm you know? They cover up the foundations. Yeah. And so
2: I un- I removed the linoleum and I found asbestos. So guess what? Thankfully, it was all intact and I can just build on top of it. So sometimes we have a bad past, right? Right. Maybe a bad relationship in the past. And we say,
1: hey, you know what? That's asbestos. Exactly. So what do you do? Do you just cover it up or what do you do? Put some carpet on it? As long as
2: you don't grind it or sand it and it's not exposed, you can build upon it. So that's Mm -hmm. where you kind of know which relationship, which one is really like adios and which one to build upon. And that's why I'm excited about today's show.
1: Yes. Yes. So is it based on the grinding? (laughs) Oh, look at the sex therapist is in the house. Uh,
2: Well, it can be. Maybe there's not enough sanding. Maybe they have some rough edges they brought in that need to be sanded, but with asbestos, not to sound like a contractor, but with asbestos, it's best to leave it alone. Mm -hmm. Yes. Build on it. Right.
1: Good enough foundation, you can build on it. Right, which is um, almost everything. It's about the foundation, the connection, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I want to remind our listeners out there that also the bringing intimacy back, um, I've created a few books. It deals exactly with kind of what we're talking about, that intimacy, that connection, and check it out on Amazon, and it's called Improving Intimacy. So what we're going to talk about today is exactly what you were saying, is taking that foundation, and especially in, I don't know, like I said, a full moon. I don't know, I know I mentioned it, but um, what that really means is, When there's a full moon, the water actually kind of rises. And when water rises in our head and in our body, sometimes we have a harder time controlling our emotions. Mm. And we don't have the skills of what to do when we're not our best. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, some of us run and hide. Sometimes, you know, we just need to acknowledge, hey, I'm not at my best right now. It's a hard day. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that when I talk with couples, I tell couples that your partner, you're supposed to show the best customer service. Yeah, Many people don't.
2: I know. That's why we're in business. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We could just, you know what, if they took the advice from both scripture and your books and the other books that are out there, similar to our guests, um, that'd be different. But it is harder to apply to our own life, isn't it?
1: It really is. Yeah, definitely. And so just like you said, um, in the sense of our guests that are coming on today, they're going to uh, talk to us about couples and how to, because like, um, and now let me introduce our guests because I'm so excited about having them on. Dr. Ray and Jean, they are a couple that really helps couples connect through couples synergy in which we are going to dig deep into that. And they have been married since Valentine's Day, which is amazing, since the 1998, which it's been over almost 20 years. And they co-founded a podcast called Couple Synergy. And they also do um, couples retreat. They also do sessions. They're located basically out in Chicago. They have a master's degree in clinical psychology. And they have a great um, co-author new book called Good, Good Boundaries and Great Relationships. Welcome, Dr. Ray and Gene.
3: Thanks for Hi. having us. How are you guys doing?
4: Good, good, good. good. Very excited to be here. Yes, <laughs> yes.
1: So if people are out there listening and they're like, well, what are these people's last name? I don't want to mess it up. So I'm gonna say it <laughs> once and then I'll have them sure. say it. Oh, you can go ahead and say it. <laughs>
3: it's uh Cadcodian.
1: Cadcodian, yes.
3: Cadcodian, yes. Some people get it wrong and they they uh Mistake us for the Kardashians, which is we're completely different.
2: (laughs) Well, hey, so what is that? What's the culture? What's the cultural background?
3: So it's Persian. Persian. Yeah, Persian. Yeah, my father is uh, from Iran. My mother from the Philippines. And he's a doctor. She's a nurse. And they met working on the same unit in Chicago.
2: They met in Chicago.
3: Yes, Mm -hmm. in Chicago.
2: And where did you guys meet? Where did you meet Jean? This blonde next to you.
3: <laughs> we both worked at a community mental health center. Uh, what twenty five years ago? Now mm-hmm. twenty five years ago, and I was doing uh, job coaching at the time, and you were doing residential counseling. Mm-hmm. And we had offices across the hall from each other.
2: Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> well, know. we can't date our clients, so we've got to find out we gotta <laughs> find.
3: Yes, that's all she wrote. And yes, we did get married on Valentine's Day in 1998, but that was not planned. We actually wanted to get married the weekend after because that would have been the anniversary of our dating. But the church wasn't available. It was available on Valentine's Day. So that was before we even started doing any couples work Mm -hmm. or before a couple synergy was even a glint in our eye. So (laughs)
1: little baby. Now it's growing. That's for sure.
3: Absolutely. Yes.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah, so as I was explaining how, um, you know, with the full moon, and there's a lot of um, chaos and drama going on. And you guys use the word synergy. What exactly is your definition of it? And how does that relate to drama and relationships?
3: Well, the word synergy, it relates to the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And so when we work with couples, you know, we're working with three different relationships here. You know, the relationship within the husband, the relationship within the wife, and then the relationship with them coming together and creating a separate entity, the couple personality.
4: Most couples don't feed that enough. Most couples, when we start working with them, that's where they're starving. They're keeping everything else in their life going and they're not feeding their relationships. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And with synergy, I saw, you know, good definition. It's like two plus two equals five. Like you said, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. more.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the potential, right? For every couple to be able to create that, you know, something greater. And most couples don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what happens is that they come and they, they join together and they just repeat a lot of the mistakes from the past. And they get stuck into this toxic dance, and they're not able to break out of that. And so that's what we do is we help teach mm-hmm. couples really the the foundation, you know, the skills necessary in order to evolve and grow beyond what they were taught.
2: So those people that are listening uh, to this podcast would be able to leave with something that they can apply to their relationship if they are in a
3: toxic dance? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Yes. Yeah, it's unfortunately. I'm sorry.
2: go ahead. It's, no, I call it overlapping. It's not interrupting. We just overlap. <laughs> so, uh, what is a toxic dance? Describe, define that a little bit. I have an idea
4: what it would be, but what? So toxic- we kind of look at relationships from like three different perspectives, and we call those the yellow flags, the blue flags, and the red flags. So yellow flags are behaviors that people are doing or not doing that erode the relationship, not spending enough time together, uh, not doing new things, not um, investing in themselves personally in growth, their own growth, and you know coming back together and uh, learning about the other person again. So those are the yellow flags. Those are the relationships that are in there for 25 years. They've raised kids, and then they wake up and go, I love this person, but I don't know this person. And then we look at blue flags. We Blue flags are like flatline, like in a code blue in a hospital. And these are behaviors like uh, being private about things, not sharing um, what's going on on your social media, or confiding in another person about the relationship that is probably of the opposite sex, and you're talking to that person more than your partner, and your partner's not included in that relationship, Um other ways of checking out, you know, if they're working too much and they're, um, it's a lot about keeping secrets, not sharing what's going on financially. And then the red flags, those are the toxic ones. That's when, uh, you know, Gottman says, uh, John Gottman, he's a big researcher in relationships and, and there's a direct relationship between selfishness and trust in a relationship. And so the red flags are re- uh, one person in the relationship is very selfish there may be an addiction. There may be emotional abuse going on. Uh, it's the the relationship has never become primary for one of the persons. And the other one is more codependent and trying to get that person to change instead of working on themselves.
2: Wow. You define that like, wow. How's the saint? I feel like I just went to a seminar. <laughs> and not only that, it reminded me of a couple past clients where I did uh, notice a trend of the one partner starving and the other person um, you know, where the selfishness came up, that word came up an awful a lot and those about one spouse would have
4: a difficult time trusting the other one mm-hmm. and, and trust is so, so critical. Right. Cause really relationships, if we're in a place of what can I get, you're not really able to have a relationship cause you have no control over what you can receive. You only have control over what you can give. And, uh, was that. I don't know which one of you said this, but you said, you know, it's about um, treating your partner like the best customer service. Right. And when you do that, if everyone's in it for that, it's fantastic. It's about giving. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: And so I was thinking, as you're saying, um, selfish, I think we're born
1: um, selfish because we're depending on something, you know, we have, yeah, we can't do anything. So we're born. And how that transitions as we get, um, our needs met through a variety of things or get lack of needs met how that transition into relationships. And like you guys, one of the things that I'm wanting to um, talk more about, because you guys teach couples Mm -hmm. and many people like, well, I, I know a lot about relationships. I saw my parents and then I'm like, Oh, it's unhealthy. Yeah. But you guys say you teach. So my question is before we go to the break is you are born selfish And maybe we did not get our needs met, you know, in childhood, in the sense of attachment. Um, How do you go about letting people know that, hey, you may want to look at things a little different?
4: I would say we're born needy. Mm -hmm. And we can't meet our own needs. We can't put a roof over our head. We can't feed ourselves. And we learn as children that when we grow up, we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to figure out how to take care of our basic needs. But we we don't learn so much about those basic needs of our our emotional self, you know, the attention, the connection, the uh, need for acceptance and appreciation. And so we don't learn that we also are supposed to learn how to grow and meet those needs of ourselves as well. And every relationship, you're right, starts out as parent-child, you know, and that's the transition that is. If a couple does this well, they're they're literally shifting from the parent-child relationship to an adult-adult relationship. And they both do it. They both flip-flop between who's the parent and who's the child.
3: And and that's pretty much a consistency, that every couple, when they come together, they start out with this parent-child relationship. And that's because that's what they've been taught by their parents. So their first relationship is with their parents. They know the role of being the child and they know the role of their parents so when you come together in a intimate relationship we superimpose that onto our partner and in the beginning that's okay because now you're 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 uh, challenged to grow and challenged to evolve and part of that is is emotional vulnerability and that is something that most people are not taught we're actually taught to shy away from emotional vulnerability and in order to have true intimacy with a committed partner, you have to have true emotional vulnerability with them. And so that is some of the things that we teach couples how to do as well as delving into that because it's uncomfortable, right? It brings up a lot of pain, a lot of, you know, past hurts. And when you delve into that and you lean into that emotional pain, that's when you find true understanding of your partner, true understanding of yourself and evolve beyond oh, what you were talking
1: aspect. All right, we'll take a break and we'll be right back in a moment. Are
0: you wanting a vacation in paradise? A vacation to rekindle the passion. A vacation without the kids. A vacation where you can learn how to communicate. Where you and your partner actually hear each other and gain insight. If so, vacation counseling is your next vacation. Dr. April Brown has created Vacation Counseling in Southwest Florida as a perfect option for you and your partner. Our retreats are one couple at a time. We have a variety of packages available to choose from, including virtual couples retreats. If you and your partner are interested in the Vacation Counseling, Please visit us at vacationcounseling.com for more information on pricing and packages. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook to keep track of the latest news, stories, activities, or coupons on Vacation Counseling and Dr. April's other services. We encourage you to sign up to receive a monthly newsletter called Intimate Connections at draprilbrown.com. Remember, if you and your partner are struggling with communication and intimacy, and you all are looking for a retreat to connect. Vacation Counseling can be your next vacation in Southwest Florida.
1: Welcome back to the Bring in Intimacy Show, where intimacy is real. So on this show, Dr. Ray and Jean, we um, talk a lot about intimacy, and we are just about to get there. So what is you guys' definition of intimacy? And how does that impact what you guys teach?
4: You know, in the Bible, it says the two shall become one. And that is a very, very, very long process, like a 25-year process. And it's what we call like merging. And you're merging and you're creating a place we call the sanctum. And the only The only people that should be in the sanctum is you and your partner and God. And that is the most intimate we can possibly get.
3: It is the closest connection physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually that we can have with another human being. And
2: That's often often why couples don't grow, correct, Dr. Ray? Because they may be growing emotionally and others... Let's, I mean, put it this way, like, you know, scripture also talks about being unequally yoked. So if you're not of somebody or with somebody of the same faith, or maybe even a different faith is okay. But if they do not have like an interesting God, then you may, you're losing one of the three,
4: based mm-hmm. on the model, right? It's a spiritual
2: right. model that you're using.
4: No, it's, it's more spiritually based. And mm-hmm. it's really about the common vision that the couple has, about what this is all really about, and what their morals and ethics and, and uh, attention they pay to that part of their, of their life. Mm
3: -hmm. Based on John Gottman's research, he talks about spirituality, not necessarily religion, but he talks about a common spiritual belief between couples. And so, you know, couples can be of different religions, but if they have the same spiritual belief, then that is, you know, one of the things that bond them together.
1: Right. Um, we were talking so much about emotions and I sometimes see a discrepancy in couples where one person believes like, you know, you are supposed to help me be happy. You're supposed to take care of me every time I'm crying and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. You're, I, but I see no emotion out of you. Yeah. So what do you deal? And then there's some that just shut down. I see her crying. I see him getting upset. I'm done.
4: Yes, yeah, as, as human beings, we see out, we don't see in. And so we always know what we think our partner's supposed to be doing better. And we give up our responsibility of our own emotional regulation and happiness to someone else, which of course doesn't work. And you know, that's the funnest part of teaching people something like, Well, they don't have the remote control for your emotions. And if they did, would they really put it to miserable? If they couldn't make you <laughs> happy, wouldn't they set that right? Yes. And so, you know, what we look at in our process is when a couple first comes together, it's physical. So the physical person, the two people come together and that's where the connection is initially. And they set up a relationship. They set up living together. They create a family and then the mental part happens. And that's like a 20 year process. So this is the kind of stuff that you're talking about, even before you can get to the real emotional stuff. It's, You know, can I count on this person? Are they paying the bills? Are they going to work? Are they taking care of the kids? Are they adding to our life? And and can I trust them? And that's a very foundational place is that safety and trust in a relationship before you can get to the emotional vulnerability that Dr. A was talking about that requires a really, really safe environment. Mm -hmm. Both
1: of you have mentioned um, it's a 20-year, it's a 25-year process. And some listeners may be listening and they may say, oh, my gosh, I want that synergy. I want that great connection. Is it really going to take me 20 years or, you know, I don't have that time. Or they might say I'm 20 years old.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's kind of like you reap what you sow. So if, if you are not 20 years into a relationship, there's a lot of work that needs to be done up until that 20 year mark. And there are a lot of couples that really get bogged down in everyday life, all of the bills and raising kids, and that becomes the focus of their their life and not their relationship being the cornerstone. And so their relationship starves over a long period of time. And once the kids are out of the house and now they're looking at their spouse like a stranger, they've got a lot of work to do. So it's not just about time. It's about what you're doing during that time. You know, there was a, a study with, um, with couples who were just getting together in a relationship and then couples who've been together a long time, healthy, long time for 20 years. And they did PET scans of, of their brain. And they showed that in the brain that lights up when you are passionate and excited about your partner when you first meet them that area of the brain lights up later on in life too. And the researchers are calling that real love because once you get to that, that place, you have this recognition of, of this true love that you, in your partner.
4: You know, everyone wants to pick the fruit the day they plant the tree. <laughs> yes. And, you know, financially, we want it all. Uh, you know, we, we just want to have everything. And I would say the journey is a beautiful journey, no matter where you are on that journey. And they're all really important things. And, you know, people don't really realize our brains and our, our personalities and our spirituality continue to develop over the course of our lifetime. And there's things you just don't know when you're 30 that you can discover when you're 50 and it's, it's kind of all part of it. And, and then when you get to 50, you have more time and resources to really do that investment that creates that, that beautiful light up of your brain. Yeah,
1: wonderful. Yeah, and one of the things you guys just mentioned that people may be like, what, do you have to work in a relationship? <laughs> yes, yeah, so, you know, I'd like and like you said, I'm 25, 30. Well, I'm not 25. I'm sure <laughs> but you really have to work in a relationship. I can't just come home, lay my hair down, say whatever I want to say, eat whatever, do whatever. You really have to work at it.
3: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, You know, a relationship is a living, breathing thing. And if you are not feeding it, it is dying. And and that's what people don't realize is that, you know, I I said my vows, and so that should be it, right? It's just bonded for the rest of our lives together. And that's not true. Is it just like our bodies physically, if we're not taking care of it, we're not working out, we're not eating healthy, then you know, we start to deteriorate and so does a relationship as well.
4: Yeah, the the every couple that gets married is in love on their wedding day. Or they should be. Well, I, they I should
1: be, not every. Most,
4: most people marry someone they love, and then what happens? And you know, I like to think about love like a like a garden hose. It's just an attachment. Like I I am plugged in and my partner's plugged in, but what kind of water is running through that? is it dry? Is it uh, dirty? Dirty? (laughs) Is it vibrant? Is it like an umbilical cord? Or is it fragmented? Or am I plugged in in other places and and the pressure is now loosening up? And so there's, you don't feel that connection. And everything that, uh, you know, if you want a stronger muscle, you you don't go lift feathers, you can, but you're going to get the result of feathers, right? And if you lift more, you're going to get the result of more. And a lot of times we'll ask people, if you invest in as much in your job as you did in your relationship, would you have one?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, you know? that's a good one.
4: Well, you give great examples. <laughs>
2: My goodness. You know, I was thinking of when you were talking about the hose and what kind of water is running through it. I'm in Michigan and we have well water and some people will get something. They have an additive. So their hair is not orange. Now my hair is blue on purpose, but I mean you can add things to it. So to use that illustration, and it is about it is about work, and sometimes we have to add that that muscle. I'm not going to lift a feather, right, and get um and get a muscle. You have a book, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, good boundaries, good relationships. I was curious if you could uh, explain that a little bit. I certainly get it, uh, but. Give us a quick overview of that book because that, I think boundaries do build relationships and
4: some people think that they do not. You know, the boundary, when, when a couple is in a place where they're in pain, everyone says it's because of communication across the board. Yes. And it's not because they don't, they need vocabulary, right? <laughs> we don't have to teach them words. It's because there's actually a breakdown within themselves. The only one that can really violate your boundaries is yourself. And if you're not willing to maintain that boundary of what's appropriate for you and how you want to be treated, then you invite others to do that as well. And so you can't show up not caring about your own self and what's appropriate for you and then expect other people to treat you better than you're treating yourself. And how do you offer that to your partner if you don't have it?
3: Yeah, yeah, boundaries is such a big buzzword. Mm -hmm. And most people think that, you know, setting boundaries is making, setting expectations for other people to meet. And that's, that's the quickest way to get people to violate your boundaries, (laughs) expect other people to do something. And that's one thing that human beings don't like to do is be told what to do. So, you know, boundaries is what Gene was talking about is within yourself is understanding where you begin, where you end. Right. And then also honoring it. If you were going to set a boundary for yourself and not allow yourself to be treated in a certain way, but then you allow it to happen again and again and again, you know, that's where you are violating that within yourself and not showing respect for yourself. You know, we like to use the example of the golden rule, right? The golden rule is treat others as you would treat yourself, but most people get it wrong and they treat others better than they treat themselves.
4: Yeah, they do. Yeah, And And then they
3: expect it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I'm curious with you two, because you two are both um, in the field of counseling and love to help others. Yes. And so as, you know, digging a little deeper, when two people who love to help others connect, did you guys have a learning lesson in yourself from these 20 years of the younger version to what we see now?
4: No, we're perfect. And we (laughs) never fight and we never had to grow or do anything.
3: (laughs) Model couple.
4: (laughs) Yeah, actually, um, it's been very enriching in our life to see all these other people. And there's even times when we fight the fight for the other couple, you know, like I'll have my version, he has his version, and we don't agree. And those things have really helped us learn all of the stuff that we've found through working with all these people. And it's been really, really rewarding for us also in our relationship we have to do it. We can't teach it if we don't learn it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we are pretty transparent about our relationship. You know, on our podcast, we talk about the, the struggles that we've gone through as a couple. And, you know, it is normal struggles. I mean, mm-hmm. every relationship goes through, you know, this getting to that point of whether we're going to divorce or not. Every couple gets there. You know, and it's their challenge to really learn and grow. And that's really the point of being in a committed partnership with someone. It's not to have that relationship last forever, because even if a couple's together for 50 years, 60 years, someone is going to leave at some point naturally,
2: Yeah.
3: right? And so every relationship ends. So the goal isn't forever. Goal is to learn and grow. And our partners give us the best opportunity to learn about ourselves and to grow.
4: Yeah, I think that's the coolest thing, that, it, that law of attraction. Like, we just come <laughs> together. Someone who knows our dance. How does that happen?
1: <laughs> yeah. So what was you guys, many couples now are coming in with this seven-year itch thing they must have read on Google. I don't know where they read it. Yes. <laughs> what was you guys' main seven-year itch that just you guys had to learn from?
3: You know, one of the biggest challenges and struggles that we went through was when I was, when I went back to get my doctorate, that oh, was God. a huge strain. Yeah, because that's like another
1: girlfriend. That's a girlfriend, oh that, point, <laughs> that dissertation. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yes. yeah, and you know, just long hours studying and, you know, we we wouldn't go to bed together because I would be up late studying or I had, you know, the same, same time we had our business full time. We were raising kids and also I had, you know... <laughs> the internships that are full-time free, you know, and it, it's, it's a lot, it, it was a lot, a huge strain on our relationship. And, you know, we have done a lot of recovery since then because of it. And I've said that if I would go back in time, I, I would not have gone and gotten that doctorate. So.
4: <laughs> One um, of the things God. that you always say is um, that, you know, when you get married and you put those rings on, it's like there's an invisible bungee cord. Mm-hmm. And when we're dating, it's sort of like we, choose to turn with our partner but after we get married it's like you can get so far apart and then it brings you back together and you sort of weave like that and I think at the seven-year mark that's when you're really evaluating is this person showing up for me is this something it's worth investing in and I remember being at a wedding and they did the dance where it's like, okay, if you've been married one year, leave the floor. If you've been married five years and nobody left the floor between 10 and 20 years, because there were no couples wow. Wow. in that category.
2: Right. Oh, mm-hmm. I, when I was asked to um, help at a wedding once to do some things like to keep the crowd, you know, interested, I had, okay, we're gonna have a kissing contest. And it struck me how few people really wanted to do it. Like those of you that are still on the floor, kiss your spouse and they looked like what? Mm-hmm. Now, maybe maybe one out of the 10 couples was a shy person and didn't want to kiss in public, but that was very telling as well. Mm-hmm.
4: So when you talk about intimacy, that's, that's more intimate to kiss yeah, someone yeah. than to have sex with someone, right? That's why in- mm-hmm the sex industry. They don't kiss.
2: They don't kiss.
4: Right.
2: No way. Not Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yes.
1: yes. Yeah. So, Gene, I um, thank you for being open and honest and vulnerable about what you just said. And so for people who are out there listening and you were open and honest, says, hey, I was so busy doing X, Y, Z. How did you deal with not being defensive?
4: And, you know, I really was not wanting him to do the doctorate. And it was yeah. probably the first time because I'm, I'm really a person, like if you want something, I really want to help you get that. But I knew that it was going to be a big deal. It's a big financial burden for us mm-hmm. as a couple. It's a very mm-hmm. expensive thing to do. The time investment, all of that. And at the time, our kids were eight and 18. And I was like, you're going to miss a lot of time with. You know, at this stage of of his life, and um, and I had to you know run everything else while he was off doing that, and so we were really busy. And I think one one thing that happened in the middle is he won a trip to Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and I think the entire trip we just hashed it out. <laughs> we had gotten as far away from each other as we could, and it all sort of we were busy going through the motions of it, but then we really had a time of you know like you're talking about with that, uh, vacation, vacation counseling. counseling. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you
4: need that, that intensity, that time to really, you know, air it out, let the feelings out and not run away because you're stuck in the hotel together. Mm -hmm. You can't just, I think I did run once. (laughs) I came back (laughs) though. I'm a runner. I'm a runner. So, you know, it was, it was that, and then we had to recover from it. And now, doing the work we do, I think his doctorate speaks a lot to that. We have been in this and we, we are educated in this and we learn and we constantly are growing and teaching, uh, from our own experiences. And it's not just, well, I got certified in something and I'm good. You know, it really is no one that, that seeks a higher degree ever can stop learning about whatever they they learned. You're not done. So,
3: well, yeah, that's the first thing I learned in a doctor is that you don't know everything.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's a specialization,
2: like a certification, but it's just like seven years in one topic. Mm-hmm. I love your humility and I love the way you guys communicate and your openness because I think there's something when you get a certain point um, in life that it's like, oh, but I, I got to have this together. We got to be that perfect couple. And and that really actually builds walls and keeps clients and and individuals away because, well, you know, it's our humanity and people want to know, wow, that you did make a mistake and that you did work it out. And obviously, here you are since 1998 when you met. Now you're helping other people. And I guess it's just a wisdom of self-care that you had talked about earlier, Jean, knowing when you do need to take that week off or the month off while not abandoning your clients, but saying, I need a break.
4: Absolutely. And, you know, that that was a, a big struggle to get public with who we are and our relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, that you see the social media and it's like, what, what, what do you put on there? And at some point, we just had to get to this point where we have to be proud of everything we're doing. And if anyone knows about it, they we have to answer to that. And so it is something we're really uh, passionate about is mm-hmm. letting people know the real stuff. And that's what we do on our podcast. We interview couples about the relationships and people share. And it's really beautiful because the, the images that we get are, they don't tell the story. The last couple we podcasted, they said they were about to be divorced and they decided they were going to go for a walk every night and hash it out. And make that decision. And when they walked, they held hands. And all the neighbors were like, aren't they cute? They're, they love each other. They're holding hands. And they're like, no, we were like trying to see if we're getting a divorce. So we don't see the reality of what's really happening. That's true. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, definitely. I'm going to go take a break. But when we get back, we're going to talk about um, two things. One, I want to talk about the, the running. Because many of us, you know, like, oh, my gosh, should we run? should we chase <laughs> what skills and helping that? And then the second thing that I would love to go a little bit deeper on is like you talked about the hashing out and I know you guys do intensive and how that's a little bit different than just the um, session once a week here and there. All right. We take a break and we'll be right back.
2: Renew your connection and your love in beautiful Costa Rica, February 27th, through March 3rd, 2022. We'll make sure it happens. Vacation Counseling Intimate Couples Retreat. Your next vacation. Enroll now at vacationcounseling.com.
1: Welcome back to the Bring in Intimacy Show, where intimacy is real. And so we were just now talking about um, running You know, when you get so um, upset or you get so, you know, got so emotional or whatever, do I run? Do I stay? Do I chase? Do I? Yeah. How does that work in learning about synergy and what do we do?
3: Well, a lot of times it doesn't work, but...
1: (laughs) (laughs) I watched you guys, it, she but she
3: ran really, a little. Well, it, that and took you... a long time to really figure <laughs> it out and really understand it. You know what the so, function okay. is behind it. You know, and you know, for some people, it can activate abandonment. You know, for some people, they can feel rejected, and you know, it it, it can be a coping mechanism for some.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: but it can also be a way of avoiding. You know what of course. a couple needs to actually work through. So I guess we could talk about like how we figured it out. And...
4: <laughs> well, you know, Gottman did this uh, study of healthy couples and unhealthy couples, or people that reported being happy and healthy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yes. and found that they all fight the same way because we fight from our hind brain, which is our reptilian brain that's reactive, mm-hmm. and that's going to be what we learned in childhood. So I have eight siblings. So when something was going on, I went and hid. And when That's did you
1: fall? I'm curious. And then your sibling
4: not? number four. Okay. In the middle. Okay. Yeah. So my mom had seven kids before she was 30 and then had two more when I was 14 and 18. So that was the way I coped as, as a kid. And for you,
3: I, I was one of three. I was the oldest, the only male. So there was a lot of pressure put on me. Right. And I, the, all the, the criticism and and judgment was placed on me. And so it's when she would run, you know, I would feel rejected and I would feel abandoned. And so now it was this drive for me to have to pursue, you know, and Gottman talks about one of the dysfunctional patterns of relationships is pursuer distancer. Right. You know, and so that was a pattern that, you know, we had continued to cycle through. Uh, until we figured it out. And we figured that, you know, it is necessary for her to have some time on her own, to be able to process, you know, the emotions, because the emotions get too intense. And it is important for me to be able to learn how to process my own emotions and not be reactive. Mm -hmm. right? Because being reactive is not never going to get us anywhere.
4: You know, I, I think the other part that's really important is, I always came back, and we always uh, fi- f- tried to figure out what we could do different and better. and that's you know the skill of a healthy, happy couple comes back and makes those repair attempts, right? The other thing is when you're hurting, you don't you don't know what you're doing to hurt someone else. you just know when you get hurt. Like if I stepped on your foot with a high heel shoe, that wouldn't hurt me at all. And I'd be like, what are you doing over there, upset? And I think it probably took me. Uh, a long time, maybe like twenty years of our relationship before I really—mean
1: yesterday? Because it's <laughs> I'm just teasing you. <laughs>
4: before I really realized the impact it was having on him. Yes, you know, and I think mm-hmm. you didn't really become vulnerable in letting me know that it was mm-hmm. so hurtful to you, mm-hmm. and so we found ways of making it uh, safer. So you know, he knows now that if I'm taking time, I'm not violating anything within our relationship. I'm gonna come back. I'm not really leaving him. I'm just taking care of myself for a bit. And so it, it feels safer in the relationship when we do that, those automatic things that that we cope
3: and, with. And I think part of the processing was also understanding what that feeling, what the emotion is tied to in history. Right. So we call it like emotional icebergs. So 15% of what's going on is happening now, but 85% of the water is based on history. And so when we have an intense emotional reaction to something our partner said or or did, you know, it is tied to some pain, some wound that we have brought into this relationship from our past. And that was part of that process, yeah. too, is understanding, you know, what it's connected to.
4: Because the 15% that's happening right now that you can see, like... Leaving your shoes in the whatever whatever people fight about is sitting on eighty five percent of history, but you feel it a hundred percent. So you look a little crazy when your emotional reaction to something this big is this big, but it's really what's happening. And that's what we ultimately teach couples how to do: is how do you help each other shrink your iceberg? How do you heal those things? And it is possible to heal those because that part of us is no relationship to time, and we can go back. And apply emotional first aid and start a healing process and help each other heal. And that's really ultimately how you become intimate and merge.
2: You know, and when you were talking about that, we, we come into relationships and some of it from our childhood and the things that, you know, we observed in our parents and then even maybe prior relationships. I actually have a question from an audience number. A listener asks, um, Is it better for people to work that out, their emotional stuff out, probably prior to a relationship, getting into a new relationship? Or is it part of why you think people get into relationships to heal from? Like, like, I mean, is it better to take a break and while you're on a break, do your emotional work? It seems like that makes sense before you get into a next one. but
3: Yeah, it does. It absolutely makes sense. And doing that self-work is absolutely important
2: because we do bring our past relationships into Mm -hmm. into our new relationships i mean and our childhood i mean it's who we are it's part of our upbringing and even our past we can't not bring things from our past right into current relationships but i call it paying for other people's sins if somebody else was unfaithful to me then should i be jealous of my current relationship that they may also should I do that emotional work? What
3: would you think? I think that that's inevitable that you are going to be jealous as a reaction to your past, you know, experiences. And you can do that work ahead of time before you get into a relationship. But really, it's the difference between reading about a sport and being in the game. Mm -hmm. And so once you are in that relationship, that is truly when you are going to learn.
2: I love that illustration. Like, unless you're in a goalie or a kicker or whatever it is.
4: Yeah. If you read a book on how to ride a bike, you don't know how to ride a bike. That's for sure. But there is work that is personal and is, you know, your self-worth and your belief systems. And uh, some of that grief stuff is individualistic, but a relationship, relationship work is a whole different set. You can't, Work on trust as an individual person, or vulnerability as an individual person, and so there's different lessons. And we actually went through that process. In my life, I was in some really bad relationships, and I took a three-year break. And I became the person. I always say this to people: I became the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. And then I attracted someone, and then the work starts with this. <laughs> yeah, and then
2: continues throughout your life because mm-hmm. it's part of growth in a relationship. Mm -hmm. To think that there wouldn't be a problem or problem areas, that's really, uh, that's not, I mean, some people think, well, if I'm happy, we're never going to argue.
4: Well, you better marry the perfect person then, right? (laughs) As long as you got perfect down, you're good.
2: Yeah. (laughs) But we're all flawed, so. (laughs) You know, I have to bring this up because it just reminds me of something that happened recently. I think that this all boils down to emotional vulnerability. And sometimes people, whether it's regarding what turns them on, something that they like in the bedroom or don't like in the bedroom, or they like their spouse to do or don't like them to do it, it's about communication, right? So it reminds me of my, my nephew, his mom had been off for maternity leave and she was with him. He's three years old and he, she was with him for like three months. And then she just went back to work and he, when she came home, he hit her. He didn't know how to say, I was scared. I, where did you go? I need you because he's three years old. Mm-hmm. And I like to think of myself, even in other, like all of us, like we're adults and we may feel be like my little archer who was scared, didn't know where you went. Uh, why did you leave me? Or why did you do that? And then you just strike out. So what would you say to couples and individuals and emotional vulnerability and risk in communication.
4: You know, there's a beautiful sculpture that was part of the Burning Man thing. And it's this couple and their backs are to each other like this. And then inside are these little children reaching for each other. And if we could see our partner like the three-year-old child and when they're having their emotional upheaval, it is something that old and deep inside of them That's coming up for healing. And, and if you were with a child that was afraid of monsters in the dark, you wouldn't be like, shut up. There's no such thing. Go back to bed. You would be like, Oh, monsters. Let's get the monster spray. Let's look. You would, you would look at them. You would believe them. You would problem solve with them. And we don't see our partners like that vulnerability. We see them like adults and we think you shouldn't act like that. But We do, because we are, and that's part of that iceberg that we're trying to heal.
3: We have gaps uh, in our childhood because our parents can only do what they could do. And so there are certain things that we've learned and certain things we haven't. And that emotional vulnerability or being able to be comfortable with being vulnerable is something that all of us have struggles with. When we get into a relationship, now we have this opportunity to learn how to be safe or feel safe with another human being. It's a very difficult process, right?
4: One of the things that we're studying the, the sex addiction right now, and one of the greatest impacts of your childhood is when your parents are emotionally intimate with you inappropriately. And you and they lean on you as the child for their emotional needs. And then when these people grow up, they can't connect to a peer because the parent won't let them go. And it creates a lot of problems. And so we can't learn it from our parents. We can't learn that emotional vulnerability because it's not a two-way thing. It's a parent-child relationship. Mm-hmm. And so we can share our, our emotions with our parents, but our parents shouldn't... <laughs> Right on. Amen to
2: that. Wow. Uh, and that goes back to that leave and cleave. Like, you know, uh, and many people can't do that because they are, have been the emotional uh, surrogate for their, whether it was a divorce that happened. And we do see this, in, and I'm sure you see this in your practice as well in therapy, Dr. April, that people come into the relationship and sometimes it is about the mother in law. That right there may have been part of it. It's an emotional surrogate spouse and the child has had to meet some need that the the other parent or the person that should have been fulfilling that goal didn't. I never thought that would apply to sex addiction. I'm going to have to read some research on that. That's
4: amazing. I get that. I had this like aha moment at that. Yeah, because they are having intimacy with that's emotional but not physical. Mm -hmm. And so their their physical sexuality is compartmentalized. And so they go to places where there is no emotional vulnerability to have sex.
1: Right, definitely. And one of the things um, that you mentioned earlier, and even Dr. Kelly was kind of um, going on it also, um, I know both of you also do Gottman. <laughs> yes, and Gottman is really great. And one of the techniques for couples It's even learning how to sometimes take Mm timeouts to learn how to self-regulate, you know? Yeah, you don't always have to resolve things. And of course, when you do a timeout, it needs to have a certain time limit and you have to come back and learn how to actually talk and communicate, which goes on to the last piece about the services that you guys provide in the sense of um, intense therapy, couples, and even that, you know, the couples retreats. So can you talk a little bit about that and let us know if people are out there listening, how can we connect with you guys?
3: Uh, Well, first off, couplesynergy.com is our website. Uh, We do personal coaching with couples. And the way that we structure that is I work with the husbands, Jane works with the wives individually, and then we come together, the four of us, and the coaching program is called Couple to Couple. And in that way, we're able to really address intensely you know, the issues that the couple is going through and teach them those foundational skills that we're talking about. Uh, We also have a weekend intensive and the weekend intensive is really designed to take the couple out of their element and to really immerse them in this time and investment together, learning these skills also uh, amongst other couples as well. And so there's a power of the group That's together in that. And we kind of limit it to about 12 couples.
4: It's sort of like, you know, you every day you clean your house, but every now and then you got to do the big purge, right? (laughs) And it's a huge investment all at once in your relationship with zero distraction. So when you're working on your relationship and you're meeting with someone for an hour a week, and then you go right back to your life. And so when you do that intensive four days of staying in it, when it's uncomfortable, you stay in it. You don't get distracted. Mm-hmm. You can get down to those deeper levels, which are really important. Mm-hmm. And so each of the things that we do build on each other's, so we also have the home study course.
3: Relationship 101. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Because it's like learning another language. When you're learning this stuff, you're like, our, how does our brain work? What are those emotional needs? What is this? What is that? And so we that's what we teach in the home study course is all those parts that you need and then you can put them together as, as a couple in, a, in the unique way that, that you need as a couple. So does that make sense?
1: Yes, yes. Well, thank you, Dr. Rain Jean, for being on the show. This has been amazing. Yes. And um, for couples who are out there listening, I do think when you do those couples um, intensives, you know, and when you have a male, because I use a uh, male counselor also, and it's more than one therapist. Therapist, it really does make a difference. And mm-hmm. so, and then I'm glad that you guys have um, these workshops, home study, you know, that teach people skills, real life skills. So, thank you so much for being on the show. Mm-hmm. We really do appreciate it. It's been an honor. And You're
4: if welcome. anyone wants to do the home study course, we're offering 20% off for your guys' listeners. Um, I don't know where they'd get the link. You can. Well, do Oh
1: yes. awesome,
3: it's right there. And we'll also <laughs> have it um it's go dot do synergy. Go dot couple synergy dot com. slash B I B. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome.
2: Wow, these guys are prepared. I like it. You know, uh I think that a reason these intensives work uh is whether it's with couple synergy or vacation counseling, is because So often we go and we get a 50 minute hour, we call it, you know, it's the 50 minute hour and you, it's once a week, this is typical therapy. And then you, okay, you're in the middle of it. And then you, okay, we'll see you next week. And then it's awfully hard to get back to it. And that's why I think some people are like, you know, I went, I spilled my guts. I left, I have to come back. They don't know where they are. So much has happened. So intensives really do work. For those of you that are listening, remember uh, to follow us on iTunes, also YouTube, Facebook. Um, Congratulations on being in the top 200 relationship podcast in the U.S., Dr. April.
1: Oh, thank you you so much.
2: Long time. And it's just great to be a part of this. If you're listening to us also on iTunes, feel free to write a review. We have great guests, as you can see. And it's just been great to be a part of your day to day.
1: All right. Thank you. And um, coming up on October 28th, which is next week, we have Transforming Your Marriage with the Six Pillars of Intimacy with Tony and Alyssa DeLinsrow. They're very awesome. I've had them on before. November 4th, we have Maureen Hancock, Finding Joy Through Grief. And then November 11th, Jason Gatson on Relationship and Personal Growth and Intimacy. And Dr. Ray and Jean, you guys are welcome back anytime. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
4: Thank Thanks for having, having us. us.:
1: Okay, this has been the "Bring in Intimacy Back show," where intimacy is real. Yeah. See you guys next week.